0: Well, if you have your Bibles, would you turn with me, please, to the book of Acts, the book of Acts in chapter 13? Acts chapter 13, I'd like to read uh, the introduction and just a few verses later on. Acts chapter 13, at verse 13. We'll just ask the Lord's help as we open his word tonight. Father, we pray in Jesus' name that your spirit would help us now as we study the word. May you bring us blessing, Father, as we look again at the scriptures about our Lord Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen. Verse 13. Now, when Paul and his party set sail from Paphos, they came to Perga in Pamphylia, and John, departing from them, returned to Jerusalem. But when they departed from Perga, they came To Antioch in Pisidia, and went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and sat down. And after the reading of the law and the prophets, the rulers of the synagogue sent to them, saying, Men and brethren, if you have any word of exhortation for the people, say on. Then Paul stood up and motioning with his hand, said, Men of Israel, And you who fear God, listen. And now down to verse 29. It says, and this is our text for tonight. Now, when they had fulfilled all that was written concerning him, they took him down from the tree and laid him in a tomb. But God raised him from the dead. He was seen for many days by those who came up with him from Galilee to Jerusalem, who are his witnesses to the people. And we declare to you glad tidings, that promise which was made to the Father. Please keep your Bible open here. At the time this chapel was built in the year 1815, Uh, another Englishman only this time from up north from the uh, the county of Yorkshire was on his way to South Africa his name was Barnabas Shaw he was a Wesleyan Methodist and he was going out to South Africa with the hope of preaching the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ well when he landed in South Africa in Cape Town sadly he was faced with opposition From the authorities who didn't want him preaching to the slaves in the marketplaces and things like that. They didn't want his type of Christianity there. So they denied him any uh, uh, paperwork and rights to be able to minister there and sent him on his way. So what he did was he bought an ox and he bought a cart. And he said, Lord, you have brought me here as a missionary and I'm going to let you take the reins. And he got in the oxen cart and he let the oxen cart lumber on up uh, out of Cape Town and he actually went on for a whole month just journeying up into the interior of Africa. And one month later, as he entered the interior, he met a tribe of Hottentots who were coming the other way. And in the course of their engagement, he asked them, what are you going south for? And they said, we're going south to Cape Town. We want to find a missionary who will tell us about the Lord Jesus Christ. (laughs) And so he stayed there a whole month with them and uh, stayed there, sorry, indefinitely with them uh, after traveling up into that part from one month. And he stayed there indefinitely with them and began a work That is still going to this day, and I love that testimony because it's proof that God is sovereign in mission work, isn't it? That He is in charge, and that's what we see in Paul's journeys and Paul's mission work in the book of Acts as well, and uh, here. Paul is in the area of Antioch, having come from Cyprus, and he had quite a disappointing turn of events because the young man he had hoped to develop and lead on in the Lord's work, a man by the name of John Mark, had departed from them and returned back to Jerusalem. But nevertheless, Paul and his preaching companions went on and they came to Uh, Poseidon in Antioch and they went into the synagogue and sat down and the people in there they saw they were Jewish and they said would you like to bring us a message now they had no idea who they were asking did they and uh, what we have here in Acts chapter 13 is the message that Paul stood up and preached to the people of Poseidon Antioch in their synagogue It is Paul's first recorded message and it is his longest one and make of that what you will. But uh, it's a message which is absolutely from beginning to end all about the Lord Jesus Christ. He comes at it from the angle of history, showing how history in Jewish uh, terms had led up to the coming of Christ. And he is the the one who is the, the promised Messiah who the Jewish people had been waiting for. And then he goes on later in the chapter to tell them how in verse 38, Therefore let it be known to you, brethren, that through this man is preached to you the forgiveness of sins. And by him, everyone who believes is justified from all the things of which you could not be justified by the law of Moses. Can you imagine preaching that in a synagogue? All the things that you can't be saved from by the law of Moses, Jesus can save you from. And he preached the Lord Jesus Christ to them. And that's one of the reasons I just love This particular sermon in the book of Acts, because it is so simple in what it's about. It's about the Lord Jesus. He is our message that Paul says. Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones, a great theologian preacher in London uh, back in the war years. He's famous for making that simple statement, Christianity is Christ. Christianity is Christ. Jesus didn't come to bring us the gospel. Jesus is the gospel. (laughs) he is the gospel Christianity is Christ and that is our message and I love that simple fact you know when Billy Graham was being interviewed on songs of praise on one occasion uh, the man who was interviewing him asked him this very poignant question he said are you saying then Dr. Graham that Christianity is the only way to heaven and he said no I am not and when I heard him say that, I nearly fell off my seat. And I thought, Billy Graham, what are you saying? And then he clarified his point and he said, no. He said, Christianity is not the way to heaven. Christ is. I said, amen. You're right. Because as Billy Graham said, you can have a form of Christianity which doesn't actually center on Christ. It centers on other things. It centers on going to church or being religious or being nice or being good or the ceremonies of the church. But true Christianity is Christ. And it is a relationship with him. And this is what the apostles preached. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 23, Paul said, we preach Christ crucified. And 2 Corinthians 4, verse 5, he says, we preach not ourselves, but Christ Jesus as Lord. And the proof of that is the fact that he did so in this sermon. And I want to see today the three things, very simple things, but I felt the need just to come to this gospel message tonight uh, and preach the same three things that Paul did. And Paul preached about the Lord Jesus, his prophetic execution, his proven resurrection, and his promised salvation. Three very simple points. First of all, then, his prophetic execution in verse 29 and here it says now when they had fulfilled all that was written concerning him they took him down from the tree and laid him in a tomb now if you just hold on just a moment you know over the years there have been many people who have made prophetic statements Uh, in a magazine called the futurist uh, a a writer by the name of laura lee uh, made a list of some of the more disastrous prophetic claims that people have made over the years a roman engineer by the name of julius sextus frontinus in ad 100 said this he said inventions have long since reached their limit and i see no hope for further developments (laughs) Well, little did he know we'd be uh, recording this on Zoom or <laughs> playing this on Zoom and technology, we'd be here under electric lights. Uh, in 1893, a journalist by the name of Junius Henry Brown said this, Law in the future will be simplified. Lawyers will have diminished and their fees will have been vastly curtailed. Well, that certainly hasn't become true, has it? Uh, The Secretary of State John Foster Dulles in 1954 said, The Japanese don't make anything the people in the United States would want. (laughs) And uh, 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 Arthur Summerfield, who was the Postmaster General in the years under President Eisenhower in 1959, said, Before man reaches the moon, your mail will be delivered within hours from New York to Australia by guided missiles we stand on the threshold of rocket mail (laughs) well email has certainly uh, done a better job than rocket mail People make disastrous predictions on their own. But you know what? The prophets in the Old Testament made prophecies about the Lord Jesus that have remarkably been fulfilled in his life. And they could do that because, as I was teaching the children this morning, man, those men were not speaking by the, their own will, but by the, the Spirit of God leading them, as it says in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 21. And Paul emphasizes the fact that in the life of the Lord Jesus Christ, the Jewish people fulfilled those prophecies concerning Christ. Now, sadly, uh, these prophecies, uh, especially concerning his death, were were fulfilled by their actions and as Matthew Henry points out it can prove that you can be fulfilling prophecy without obeying the word of God now you get your head around that Uh, but what they were doing was wrong even though it was what God had prophesied because the Lord did prophesy that the Jewish people would reject their Messiah and as a result end up crucifying him And It's ironic, isn't it? The one they had waited for for thousands of years when he came, they didn't want him and they turned their backs on him and rejected him. But that's what the prophet said. The prophet said the stone the builders have rejected has become the capstone. It's exactly what the Bible said. Would happen. And uh, so in, in verse 29, Paul says, When they had fulfilled all that was written concerning him, they took him down from the tree, that's the cross, and laid him in a tomb. And it just shows us that the death of the Lord Jesus Christ was prophetic in every aspect. And this is a remarkable thing. You know, years ago when I went to uh, Waverley Abbey, I, I did a, a one-year course at Waverley Abbey some years before I did my course I, I, in London at the Cornhill training course. But I did a, a, an institute in biblical studies there. And one of the lecturers gave us a postcard that had a painting of the Lord Jesus on. Now, as soon as I heard we were getting a postcard of the painting of the Lord Jesus, I didn't want it. Because I don't, I'm not into those things. I hate them. You know, they always paint a pasty colored Jesus that looks very weak and feminine. And I hate it. But he said, John, just, just look at this. And I, and I humbled myself <laughs> to accept the card and look at it. And I have to say, I've kept that postcard and what it was it was a postcard of the lord jesus in the carpenter's workshop in nazareth and he's stretching out his hands as if he's yawning and as he he does so there is a shadow that falls behind him over the instruments in the workshop and you see the planks of wood and you see the nails and you see the chisel where the hand mark where the hand would be and you realize that even in his life This was hanging over him all the time, the shadow of the cross. And uh, although I still don't like the picture, I like the message, the shadow of the cross was in Christ's life. And when he came, he came knowing that and he came ready to fulfill all those scriptures for us. Now, I can't give you all of them, but I can give you a quick uh, list of, of some of the prophecies that Jesus fulfilled in his death just briefly the time of his death was prophesied in Daniel 9 verse 26 because Daniel nine twenty six tells us he would be cut off before the temple was destroyed. And that was the second temple. Solomon's temple had been destroyed. The second temple hadn't even been built. But Daniel prophesied it would be built and it would be destroyed again. But before it's destroyed again, the Messiah will be cut off. Do you realize that's one of the most astounding prophecies in the Bible? It tells us that Jesus Christ is the only one who can fulfill the role of the Messiah because he was the only one who came and died and was rejected by the Jewish people before the second temple was destroyed. That's in their own scriptures, the timing of it. The price of his death is given in Zechariah 11.13, where we're told that he would be betrayed by, for 30 pieces of silver, which is exactly the amount they paid Judas Iscariot. You know, they didn't realize they were doing, they were fulfilling scripture when they counted out that money. But it's like it says here, when they fulfilled all that was written concerning him. And then the manner of his crucifixion, Psalm 22, verse 16, tells us that he was pierced. He was pierced. We find that in Isaiah 53 as well. He was pierced. Now, that's an amazing thing because crucifixion hadn't been invented by then. The Roman form of execution was to stone people, not crucify them. That came in with the Persians and it was mastered by the Romans. And yet a thousand thousand years before, David prophesied the way in which Christ would die. In Psalm 22 verse 1, the the prophet David, uh, King David, prophesied the words of the Lord Jesus on the cross. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? The very words Christ took on his lips. He prophesied also the people who would be there at his death. I once heard a preacher give a sermon on all the people at the cross, and he had a great title. He called it A Cross Section of Humanity. And I've never forgotten that because there is so many different types of characters at the cross. But he pointed in on the fact that David had said that they were like bulls surrounding him and wild dogs, uh, the bulls of Bashan and uh, that 's exactly what we see in the in, in the in the Jewish priests baying for his blood, and the the uh, uh, the enemies of our Lord Jesus Christ mocking him and isaiah fifty three verse twelve tells us very remarkably that he would be numbered with the transgressors. Do you know Pontius Pilate, on the same day he decided to crucify Jesus Christ, decided to take out another two prisoners and crucify them as well and Jesus was one of three in the center between them. He didn't know it, but he was fulfilling the prophecies of scripture. And Jesus was numbered with the transgressors. And best of all, the purpose of his death is given in Isaiah 53, that he was bruised for our iniquities he was punished for us and our sins we could go on but you get the idea it's a prophetic execution that Jesus went through on the cross and he knew he was coming for that purpose because he and his spirit had inspired those things and he knew he was coming to fulfill them One preacher said you can imagine as the Lord Jesus was going through that final week his mind was just like a a catalogue of prophecy and each one he was waiting for each one to be fulfilled. Some he could himself do, some others had to do. He himself could choose to ride the donkey into Jerusalem but others like uh, the, the things that happened on that day it was in the hands of God sovereignly to all bring to pass. It's an amazing thing. But the reason is he did this to save us from our sins. He came, as it says, to be our substitute and our savior. And that's what we need. We need someone to save us from going to hell. And that's why the Lord Jesus came and died on the cross for us. And I thank God tonight for his execution, his death on the cross for my sin and for yours. Do you know, on August the 16th, 1987, uh, uh, Northwest Airlines Flight 225 crashed after taking off from Detroit Airport. And 155 people were killed as the plane crashed on a nearby motorway. And uh, yet one person on that flight survived. A little four-year-old girl by the name of Cecilia she was from Tempe, Arizona. And when they found her, they thought that she had actually been involved from one of the cars on the motorway where this plane had crashed. And uh, they thought that she had come from there. But no, this little girl said she was on the plane. And they checked the list of the passengers and there was her name. And everyone else had been killed. And they said to the little girl, how did you survive? And she said, my mummy wrapped herself around me. And that's what the mum did. This lady called Paula Chican unbuckled her own seatbelt as the plane was coming down. And she got down on her knees in front of her daughter. She wrapped herself around her her arms and her body, around little Cecilia. And she wouldn't let her go through the crash, through the explosion uh, and the pain of all that happened. And in her death, she protected That little girl. Well what a picture of the saving work of our Lord Jesus Christ. Who gave his life on the cross for us. And I hope tonight that makes you want to say hallelujah. What a saviour. Secondly we see here his proven resurrection in verse 30 to 31. Because after Paul talks about the fact that the Lord Jesus died on the cross. He says but God raised him from the dead and i have to say that's one of my favorite verses on the resurrection in the bible it's just such a wonderful defiant statement but god dr martin lloyd jones used to preach whole sermons on those two words by the way i've got books of them at home but god and what but gods there are in history you know things can be going wrong but god (laughs) and maybe that's a message for someone here tonight on its own just put those two words on your fridge this week But God, (laughs) it'll do you good. But, you know, this is what uh, our hope is built on. But God raised him from the dead. And after the Lord Jesus had died, Christ was raised by the power of God. And the best thing is, this is a proven resurrection. We're not just saying he was risen. There's evidence for it. Verse 31 says he was seen. For many days, by those who came up with him from Galilee to Jerusalem, who are his witnesses to the people. Now it's amazing how Paul goes around wording this because Paul himself had seen the risen Lord Jesus Christ, you remember, on the road to Damascus, but he didn't say, We've all seen him. He points to the witnesses who were there at the time of Jesus' death and resurrection. Personally, I think that was Paul's wisdom because people could say, well, of course you would say that. But Paul's saying, look, you can go and ask them. They were there. And this is the evidence he's pointing to. He was seen for many days, 40 days, in fact, by those who were his disciples from Galilee to Jerusalem. And uh, this is part of the proof of the resurrection of Christ, those people. I want you to think about it under three Ts. Think about it, first of all, in terms of their testimony. Their testimony. They claimed to see the risen Lord Jesus Christ. Now, that was a remarkable testimony because they themselves had been converted from unbelief. They themselves have been converted from unbelief. And yet every single one of them said, we saw him. We saw him. Now, I'm a little bit out of sync on my pictures, but I'm going to give you a quotation in a minute from a man by the name of Colson, uh, Chuck Colson. And uh, I'm just going to go through this to get to this, okay? because I want to give it in here now. This is the trouble with using, PowerPoints. It tends to novel you in on on doing things in a certain order. But Chuck Colson, you may remember this man. He was President Nixon's hatchet man, as he was called. And uh, he was one of the president's aides. And he was one of the top most powerful men in, in the country of America in the days of President Nixon. Uh, but do you remember the Watergate scandal? He was involved in that. And he and the other men who were involved all made an agreement they weren't going to tell the truth. Well, they all broke. They all broke. And President and this man, uh, Coulson, he became a Christian in prison afterwards. And this was what he said about the, the witnesses to the resurrection. This is what he said. If I can just get it out. He said, my experience at the Watergate scandal convinces me of the historic proof of the resurrection. Think of it. The most powerful man around the president of the United States could not keep a lie for three weeks. And you would have me believe that the 12 apostles gave their lives for a lie without ever breathing a word of it to anyone. Impossible, <laughs> and he's right. I think he's right. You know, their testimony is an amazing uh, proof. Those men all died for their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Sorry, I have to back up here now. So, their testimony is a part of the proof. Think of their teaching as well. They preached that Jesus rose from the dead. You say, "Well, of course they did." But hang on a minute. You and I don't realize how much we've been conditioned by the New Testament. No Jew in the Old Testament was expecting a single resurrection. They were only expecting a corporate resurrection. They were expecting the great resurrection at the end of time. Do you remember even when Lazarus is taken ill uh, and the Lord Jesus says to, to, to Mary and Martha, your brother will rise again. And they say, I know he'll rise again in the resurrection. You know what they say? That They didn't have a concept of a single resurrection. They were expecting the great last day when all would be raised together. And yet these apostles changed their teaching and they taught one man has been raised, a single resurrection. That fact is is very significant as part of the proof for the resurrection of Christ, what they taught. And... The third uh, uh, T I want to give you is transformation. Because one of the things that we forget about these people is eight out of nine of the New Testament writers were Jewish. Only one was a Gentile, but eight out of nine was Jewish. And yet they believed Jesus was risen and therefore worshipped him as God. He said, big deal, so what? Okay, you say, so what? You go to London, you go to Golders Green, find an Orthodox Jew and tell him to his face, you believe Jesus is God and he is risen from the dead. And watch what happens. He will get angry at you. He will call you a blasphemer. And these people had been raised the same way. They had been raised to believe that there is only one God and there's no chance of of any man being God. They had no concept of the incarnation coming. And yet when Thomas saw the risen Lord Jesus Christ, he fell on his knees. And what did he say? My Lord and my God. And they were all changed by it, And they were all transformed. They all became born-again Christians and confessed that Christ is God. You know, these are the proofs, and this is why Paul says, you know, they are his witnesses to. The people, and that's just one aspect of it. Uh, what happened to the disciples? We haven't talked about the empty tomb, we haven't talked about uh, the many other factors involved in the resurrection, but the resurrection is a proven fact. In fact, Professor Gary Habermas, uh, who's a, an American uh, uh, professor, he amassed all the evidence from secular sources which even non-Christians would agree to. Even non-Christian atheists would agree. Yes, I have to agree, that is history. And he said, if you amass all that evidence, you can still come to the conclusion that Jesus was raised from the dead. Because even if you look at it historically, everybody, even atheists who deny there is a God, but those who have to believe history, they believe that Jesus Christ was a real person and that he died on the cross. And yet, remarkably, three days later, the message was going out around the world. He has risen from the dead. Now, how do you bring all those things together? There's only one thing. It's because it was true. Jesus was risen, is risen. And uh, that is the message that Paul preached and which we share with you today. Now, you might have noticed this on the the PowerPoint screen, the the picture here of a bay in Alaska. That's a bay which is called Resurrection Bay. What a fantastic name that is. And uh, if you've ever seen the film Hunt for Red October, that's where they filmed uh, the... uh, 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 the, the, the film or the the beginning scenes of Hunt for Red October the, 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 the submarine from Russia that defects and the reason they chose to film it here was that this bay has a unique uh, feature to it in that it never freezes over even in the hardest of winters and in fact uh, an explorer uh, back in the 1700s was travelling here and he took refuge in this bay on Easter weekend when the weather turned particularly disastrous and he, he on, his, on his journey in his boat, pulled in and was kept safe and so he called it Resurrection Bay. You know, friends, that's what you and I need to do. We need to pull into resurrection bay. <laughs> we need to come into the resurrection and the blessing of the resurrection for the good of our souls and our mercy. Jesus Christ not only died, and his death is a proven fact of history and a fulfillment of prophecy, but Jesus Christ was risen from the dead, rose from the dead on the third day, and it has been proven by the witnesses who saw him. Thirdly, we see here in this passage, his promised salvation in verse 32. Paul sums up this part of his message before he goes on to application to say, And we, including himself now, we declare to you glad tidings, that promise which was made to the fathers. And he's saying here, we declare to you glad tidings, which is another way of saying we're giving you good news the greek word there is the word evangelizo which is where we get our word evangelical from and uh, it's the good news it's the gospel of of our lord jesus christ and that is the uh, the message uh, that that the apostle wanted to end on he said we've brought you glad tidings and a message to share and i've lost a piece of paper somewhere that i'm looking for and uh, the message that Paul shared was the person of the Lord Jesus Christ because he was the one who fulfilled the promise that was made to the fathers Uh, do you remember way back at the beginning God said to Abraham that in you all the families of the earth will be blessed that was the promise that was made uh, to, to Abraham and it was fulfilled in the Lord Jesus Christ and his death resurrection and his person are the fulfillment of prophecy and today we can share with you just as they shared in that synagogue that Jesus Christ saves and it's glad tidings it's good news you know for well when you go home tonight and you put on the news you're not going to hear much good news are you but I've got some good news before you go home if you turn to Christ you can be saved from your sin eternally eternally so when you come to your last half heartbeat on earth, you'll be able to pass swiftly and safely into the presence of the God who loves you and gave his son for your salvation. By faith in him, you can be saved. You know, the famous preacher George Whitfield used to ask people five questions to make them think about the gospel and i want to share these five questions with you and i want you to ask answer them in your head don't ask them out loud but listen to these questions and answer them in your head question number 1 do you know that you are a sinner that's the first question question number 2 do you know that you are a dreadful sinner Question number three, do you know that even your good deeds are all infected by sin? Question number four, do you know that Jesus Christ died for your sins on the cross and rose from the dead? And question number five, do you know that he did that for you? do you know he did that for you that's the good news we're sharing and it is good news and you can be saved by putting your faith in him believe on the lord jesus christ and you shall be saved and as paul said at the end of this sermon therefore let it be known to you brethren that through this man is preached to you the forgiveness of sins christianity is Christ. And he is our message that we're still sharing even to this day.